Have you thought about starting your own podcast? Well, if you have, then you want to download Anchor. It's the easiest way that you can make a podcast. They give you everything you need in one place, and it's absolutely for free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you were thinking of starting your own podcast, you want to download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Right. Happy Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. So before we dive in, I just want to first apologize. This is my first show of the week because it was a bad week for my guests getting sick. So we didn't have a show Monday. We didn't have a show Tuesday. We didn't have a show Wednesday. And my 11 a.m. Eastern time show today was out sick as well. <laughs> so this is actually my first show of the week. So I apologize for the delay because I don't want to get on and just randomly talk. So figured we, we will wait for today's guest, and I believe he's going to be worth the wait. But first, this is episode number 208 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, Robert B. Foster. So again, I usually don't do it at this time, but you know, you got to make got to make adjustments when, when you find people that you really want to talk to. And so if you're brand new, if you join me over on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. If you join me on Facebook, please like and share. And let me share a quick little bit about myself, and then we'll get going. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting, and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what you're passionate. It starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again all that stuff I was like you know what like I want to be able to take this even bigger if you know why you do what you do you have to know how to charge for what you do that's how you're going to change your life and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family you gotta know your work So for today's teachable moment, so I've pieced together the, my next six people for the next all-star panel. So now it's not these six. These guys were in the last panel, but this is the graphic that I used to display them. And so that next panel is going to be on February 19th. And it's all about self-love and how to love yourself when the world may not love you. Right, so that's going to be a powerful, powerful topic. And again, I brought six of my form, former guests are coming back to tackle this one. And they're all dynamic people, dynamic personalities, and they're all very heart-centered people. So that's going to be one heck of a panel. So mark your calendars. It's February 19th. It's a Saturday. It'll be from 11 a.m. Eastern till about 1.15 or so. And uh, that definitely, if you struggle in the self-esteem, self-confidence, self-love departments, that's one that's definitely going to open up your eyes. So, all right. So now it's time to bring on my guest. And I got to say, you know, I can sit here and I can read the bio and all that other stuff. But I just want to say he showed up with a Spartan shirt on. That right there tells you everything. So people who know me, you guys know I'm big into Spartan races. I bring my clients to Spartan races. My kids do them. Like my oldest daughter does them with me. And we can do an entire episode on how Spartan racing translates into everyday life. But for now, we'll just talk about the the intro, you know. So we'll, we'll, we'll start the intro talking a little bit about that. But first, welcome Hike to the show. Good morning. 
Thank you. Good morning, Rob. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. And uh, you said the first show of the week because of everybody's getting sick. Yeah. Same thing on my team. Everybody got sick back to back to back. So I'll yes. do my best to make sure we have a good first show of the week. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So I know I said good morning because you're off on the West Coast, right? Yeah, yeah, Washington State. It is 11 a.m. Okay, Washington State. All right. Are you originally from there? Uh, no, I'm actually born and raised in Armenia. Okay. Uh, we moved to the United States 20 years ago now, even 20 years. Um, uh, between L.A., Oregon, but most of my adult life has been here in Washington. Seattle, okay. All right. Yeah. You know, we're definitely going to get into into the the Armenia talk, because I remember from our our last conversation, like the, the real bulk of your story is was in that that transition. But first and foremost, you know, we got to talk about the Spartan shirt, man. How would you get into Spartan racing? You know, I wasn't planning to wear it. I woke up this morning and I'm looking at my drawer. And, and by the way, my wife hates the Spartan shirts. She loves that I do Spartan races, but she's like your entire closet is Spartan <laughs> in race shirts you yep. know to me i'm like you know if i can earn it and if i can make it look good to me that is worth more than the gucci than the versace than anything else out there right so to me exactly. I, I i wear a lot of these race shirts with pride uh and you know it does strike a conversation it helps me inspire sometimes it helps me to just recruit people into the race i don't get paid for yes. it but i know there's a lot of good things for people so uh yes. yeah i've been a hardcore spartan fan um you know i got into it as a fun thing you know maybe five six years ago just to do it um you know, uh, one of the things that if you ask me to describe myself, I'm very competitive. So I got super into it. Uh, last year, I had my best. I, I came in seventh in my in the, in the Spartan race. So this year, my goal is to try to rank in top three. Nice. Uh, one of my goals is to come in in the podium. Um, I didn't think I could. Uh, but with a lot of the cardio I've been doing recently, my speed's been picking up. I've been losing a lot of weight. So I'm in a, in a weight bracket where I think I might be able to keep up with some of those top guys. So that's the goal this year. So I'm very proud Spartan member here. So and I have like 20 shirts, so I keep on wearing them on, ro on rotation. <laughs> I love it. It's, yeah, see, what people don't realize, too, is that each one tells a story. Like, I'll put, I'll put up a, a glimpse of my my Spartan walls. Nice. You know, well, just my obstacle race wall. Like, I have my Tough Mudder wall. I have a wall of all Spartans, and I have a wall of local races. And it's not so much to say, oh, wow, look what I did. But it's like yeah. I can look at each medal and there's a story that goes into each one. Like I think back to my first Spartan race. Now I had done a couple other ones. I think I did a Warrior Dash. I did a couple local ones. They were kind of easy. And so I went into that first Spartan kind of cocky. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush this race. And it was very humbling. Like the other races I did, I mean, there were some little hills. And this one was just like steep up steep down steep up steep down like every obstacle was like physically taxing mm -hmm. so between that and the hills like it was it was brutal like i, I skipped a few obstacles i i didn't do all of my burpees and but i, I look back at that medal and like and it's humbling you know because mm -hmm. like some people say if you don't do everything you shouldn't you shouldn't take a medal but it's like i took that medal as a sign of the ass kicking that i took mm -hmm. and the fact that my training needs to go to a different level for me to compete in this race. Right. So, so when you did your first one, what was it like for you? You know, actually, my first one was a Tough Mudder. I saw okay. you had a Tough Mudder shirt, too. Yes. That got me into it. And then one of my friends was like, you should do Spartan because you can actually compete. I'm like, ooh, you said compete. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> so, said um, that C word. <laughs> it was, it, you know, uh, it was very humbling. Honestly, you know, Spartan race came to Seattle and there was two events back to back. It was the Beast and then the Super. Mm. Uh, actually, it was all three. So I'm like, you know what? I'll do both in one weekend. So I remember I did the Beast on Saturday. Again, very hard. I couldn't walk home. I barely crawled into my car. <laughs> I went back home. And my, my wife is like, are you okay? Are you hurt? I'm like, no, I'm not hurt. I'm just really sore. I've never been this sore in my life. Yes. And I mean, that 13 miles, that was, I mean, several hours. That was, that was harder than the marathon, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I remember in the morning, I had to go do the Super the next morning. <laughs> so I rolled off the bed because of how sore I was. And somehow managed to get in my car, picked up my friends. You know, they were doing their first one the second day. I did my first one the day before. And then yeah. they're like, you okay, man? I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. But <laughs> I bought the ticket. So I remember I couldn't even stretch. And then the uh, second day, they started doing the route, the warm-up, the, you know, the jumps. And then the energy kicks in for some reason. All the pain goes away. And yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to walk the day. I ended up just going all out the second day as well. Then I of really couldn't walk for like two days after that. Mm -hmm. um, it was a really humbling experience. As, you know, I was 
heavily into bodybuilding and just powerlifting. I was very strong. I was 250 pounds. Yeah. Very hard race for me. So I, I said, enough is enough. I'm going to do more cardio. So that got me into um, endurance races. I started doing more marathons and halves and, you know, triathlons. It got me into Ironman. So I think Spartan races were really got me to want to be not just bigger and stronger. I wanted to be healthier. And I realized yes. has a lot to do with health. And, you know, I learned that vascular is the most important thing out there. Enough. Lost a lot of weight, and but also this is the healthiest I've ever been. Not the strongest, not the fastest, but the healthiest. Yes. So I would say I owe it to Spartan Race that really humbled me up to really go back and look at my nutrition, look at my weight, look at my cardiovascular health. Uh, it changed my life. Like it's you know it's truly when people say, could it change your life? It can if you take it seriously, and it it did for me. I agree. Like people ask ask me why I keep doing it and why I keep doing it because like I've had multiple sur surgeries. But the thing I like about it is that I like the challenge of it. But each one, especially when you do different different regions, because like up here in the Northeast, there's a lot of mountainous races. And then, you know, you go down south, they're a little flatter. But then you like I, I did the one in Florida in December and there was like swamp miles upon miles of trudging through this swamp water. It was mm. just such a different type of of mental headache. It wasn't even so much the physical part. It was just like, when are we getting out of this water? Not to mention there's alligators down here. <laughs> so it's like, you get these, all of these things going through your mind, but I keep doing them because it's, it's a challenge. It's like, can I get through this? And like I said, it said in my opening speech that it translates into everyday life. Mm -hmm. you know, like if you want something in everyday life, what are you willing to go through to get it? So right. when I bring my clients through, through these races and they reach those points, especially in the mountain races where maybe they're brought to tears or maybe they're starting to cramp. And it's like, how bad do you want that finish line? And and they want it bad. Like quitting is not an option. But then I'm like, but why do you keep quitting on your dreams? Yep. <laughs> you know, it's yep. like if you're so committed to crossing the finish line, yep. why aren't you committing to reaching your goals in life? No, the addiction is real. I think yes. in, in many ways, you know, the word addiction is a bad word, but if you're addicted to the right things, and there's, there's a lot of good stuff in that addiction word, right? It doesn't have to yes. be negative. My, yeah. uh, my brother's a professional mixed martial artist. And, you know, some days when he's in fight camp, he's training three times a day. I've seen him do four, you know? Yeah. And he's always sore. Like when I, when I somehow miserably, then he has to go into the sauna and cut 10 pounds and he's just passing out, can't drink water. Yeah. And, you know, when then, and then he goes to work. And one time he's like, you know, it's hard for me to complain about work because this is rest. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let's talk about that for a second. And we can't yes. do a conclusion. He goes, work should not be the hardest thing you do. And in many ways, it's almost like the pain that you choose to control makes the uncontrollable things like difficult customers, problems, you know, arguments at home, difficult friends. It makes all the other uncontrollable pain that's there easier. And yeah. that's why I think, you know, Rob, you probably agree with me. Most people you know are successful are choosing to do some kind of a painful activity, whether if it's a marathon or Spartan races or triathlons, like, why do you do it? Well, it's almost like when I don't, everything else just gets tougher. Yes. Subconscious, unconscious thing. Like I do it because everything else feels right. Yeah. It's maybe an hour or two of pain, but what is that compared to the next two months worth of joy I have because I accomplished something and I feel good about myself. Yes. See, I, I love that you said work shouldn't be the hardest thing you do all day. I absolutely love that. That's why I was scrambling to write it down while you were talking. I was like, I, I want to remember that that quote because that that's huge. Because because for some people, their work that is their identity. It's like this is what I do, and it's 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 okay if you're within your passion. Like with me, I have no problem. You know, I'm a speaker. I'm a gym owner. I love that stuff. You know, I'm a podcast host. Like I love doing all of these things. So if someone's like, hey, there's Rob, Rob the podcast host. I'm cool with that, you know, because I'm doing something that I feel like I'm called to do, you know, but it's just if you get the people that are just simply working for money, then it's like that's that's not where all your energy should go. It's like like you're missing the bigger picture of why we're here. You know, it's like it we're here to help make other people better. That's why we're here. For sure. For sure. I was. Uh, the other day I, I came out of the pool and there was a guy he's like, oh, you know, yeah, you were in the pool for a while. I'm like, yeah, yeah, just a couple of races coming up and training. I have to come back later. He's like, yeah, I've got three workouts. So I'm like, three? I'm like, dang, man, that's that's a lot. What are you training for? He goes, I just want to do the best version of myself. Nice. I'm like, would you agree with the statement? The more energy you spend, the more you have. 
Yes. You don't have more energy by saving. He's like, oh, 100%. He goes, whenever I'm doing less, for some reason, I have less to give. Yeah. I'm like, my man, introduce yes. myself, got his name. I'm like, I'll see you back here soon. He's like, I'll see you soon. So it's like <laughs> weird people when they see each other, like, oh, like, we're on the, we're on similar level. I understand, you know? It's, it's very, just Love those it. little things sometimes, you know, when you see somebody working hard and then a you know, little small talk about what your belief system is. And I truly believe, you know, Rob, you're doing a lot of things, right? Between the podcast and gym owner, you're probably busy, right? Very busy. But in, in all reality, I think people like you cannot function in the day when there's not a lot of things happening. Yeah. Right? And, it's, and the less you do, the more anxious you are, right? It's like anxiety kicks in from less. Well, most people think, isn't there supposed to be anxiety from doing a lot? No, I think you find more purpose and ambition and you feel better about yourself, right? Less anxiety, more positivity, more motivation, more. It's like you're, you're a race engine that's made to redline. If you're not redlining, it's almost, it's, it's going to break. So you got to keep the RPMs up in order for it to function to its full potential. Yeah. So even in the gym, the, the ladies are always saying when they, when they work out first thing in the morning, they're energized for the rest of the day. You know, mm -hmm. so like it's 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 a scientific fact. Like you're really because basically you're you're throwing logs into the fire. You mm -hmm. know, so you can throw logs into the fire. The fire burns bright, and that's what your body does. Whether it's your your energy or your metabolism. Mm -hmm. You know, right first thing in the morning, you're revving it up. You're revving it up to a high capacity, mm -hmm. and then you ride that high the rest of the day. Yeah, so it's like, it's, like it's, you know, no one's been lazy all day long and stuffing their face with right. junk food and felt good about it at the end of the day. No one has. It's, 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 I think it's, if you had an option to inject yourself with dopamine every morning with a needle, well, that's kind of weird, right? But you can do it yeah. for fitness. Wake up, inject yourself with dopamine, good one hour effort, and then get to work. Yes. Um, I, I did a cycling session this morning, you know, like the rest of my day is going to have a smile on my face. So, and also my team needs it. You know, one thing I noticed in business, Rob, is, um, you know, people like it or not, when you lead an organization, your team is going to admire and look up to you. And you, you don't attract what you want, you attract what you are. And often people that follow sure. you become like who you are. So when you're complainful about having a bad team, often it's the answer is in the mirror. Yep. Right. So I, re I realized, you know, I, my team needs me to come in to work to make sure I'm in the right state of mind. I need to have the injection of dopamine and, you know, whatever the happy hormones that my body creates from exercise in the mornings. Right. So, and also, you know, telling them how many steps I have for the day. And then they're kind of getting a little jealous and competitive. Right. So, Often I, I get asked to share a lot of best practices for business. And one of the things, you know, I always brag about is how good of a team I have. Yes. But in, in all reality, you know, if I had a good team member and I had a good hire and I got lucky with them, but I'm a negative person who always talks about news and negativity and how things are mm -hmm. bad, how COVID's impacting, that positive, good driven team member that I hired would lead me to find somebody where they're more comfortable. And vice versa, if I attract somebody just like me and I'm negative, they're going to stick around. So I'm going to create a team of negative, complainful, you know, just it's, it's, it's a mess, right? So yeah. often we track what we are. It's true. They come true. and birds of a feather. And stick around. Yeah, right? that's what so they I, say. I, birds of a I feather to. flock together. It, and yeah, it's, it, to it's so true. I was in, I was renting space at a gym a few years ago. And so the gentleman I was renting from, he was a, a firefighter. And, you know, like a lot of first responders, you know, they have, and again, I can't put everybody in the same box, but a lot of them that I've met, they kind of have a certain like rough, persona because of the things that they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis you know i'm not mm -hmm. saying it like they're bad people but you go into accidents where people are mangled and people may may have passed away and like you got to have really thick skin to deal with that stuff and so where this is relevant to the conversation is his clients had his type of personality and mm -hmm. so with mine i'm very high energy I'm like a big kid trapped in a 47 year old body. And so it's reflected in the music that, that, that I play and I attract the people that like that stuff. And so it's like two completely different worlds in that facility when he's teaching his class versus me teaching my class. And I'm not saying it like there's anything wrong. You know, it's like everybody has their own unique personality, mm -hmm. but it's just to illustrate the point that no matter what your personality is, you're going to attract the people that like that personality. Mm -hmm. And that was like the best example of it because, you know, he'd be teaching class. My clients would start coming in because my class was right after his and they're all like, it's so quiet. Everybody's so serious. It's like no one's smiling. No one's talking. But that's what that group needs mm -hmm. to succeed. You know, and, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. It's like once pe people realize, like when when you're your authentic self, that's all you need to be. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can't force people into your world. Just be you, and then the right people are gonna come by your side. Right. No, I agree. I agree. And you know, a lot of people talk also, you know, be you, but sometimes like the you needs improvement, right? You need yes. to smile more, you need to forgive more, you need to be more positive, you need to yes. quit complaining, right? You need to, you know, they're saying uh, no one cares, work harder. Well, people care. It's kind of like a harsh saying, but <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta work harder, right? You gotta, you know, um, there's people that I was aspiring to become like, and I, you know, I was reading, uh, was it the five o'clock club? I think it was a book that was called a long time ago. And it said, just by waking up at five in the morning, things will improve. And I'm like, yeah. wow, I already know. <laughs> I disagree. I fought it. And then, <laughs> and then I remember for a while, I'm like, you know, enough is enough. You know, I had my first kid. I put on a lot of weights. I was really big. You know, I was heavy. I was strong. But at the same time, I did not like what I saw in the mirror, you know, yeah. so just by waking up five in the morning, it gave me time to think without interruption. It gave me time to plan my head day ahead. It gave me time to do my fitness things in the morning. So I had no excuses of not having time. I created more time. And I'm like, wow, it's very true. If I just find the people that I admire to be like and just repeat what they're doing. One of the things is like, you want to get more positive and just happy with results in life, just get up sooner before most people so you have less distractions. And yeah. that kind of helped me become the very person I want to be like, which also helped me to replicate myself more within my business. And, you know, it's like, I want my spouse to be more positive. Well, the question is, are you more positive? Because yeah. often when you said something, right, if you lower your level of whatever positivity or drive or coachability, you know, your partner does too, right? So I, yeah, I agree, Rob, like the, the people you're training and you're coaching, um, you can have hundred people sign up. The 20 that are more like you will stick around. The other 80 will leave, but yeah. those 20 will bring more people who are like them because they're comfortable around those people. And you create the spider web of, mini robs right so yes. that's a very true saying we do attract and keep people that are like us and if we don't like our friends and don't like our peers uh that's when you need to do change so like look in the mirror and realize like what do i need to do what books yeah. do i need to read and who i need to associate myself with right yes and i like i like what you said that you have to be better and i have several several talks where i, where I talk about how people upgrade their technology, you know, they, they'll upgrade, you know, like their water bottles and like, you know, they'll upgrade their cars and all this other stuff. But it's like, what about you? It's like, you're still, you still have the same operating system that you had from two decades ago. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like the world is different now. Interacting with people is different now. There's technology now. It's like, are you upgrading you to become who you want to be? Because I mean, yeah, a lot of my qualities are the same from 20 years ago. But perspectives are different, right? You know, they're like I'm. I'm different. Like 20 years ago, I was all about being the loudest, being the most boisterous, letting everybody know I'm the boss. I still let everybody know I'm the boss. I'm just not as cocky about it. <laughs> it's <laughs> more socially accepting the way you do it. <laughs> yes, I mean some of my clients might call BS on that one, but <laughs> you know when I'm in the gym, it's different. I'm in my element. Just, mm-hmm. just Rob Foster in everyday life, though. It's like I, I see things differently. I appreciate the little things more. You know, taking the time, like at my last Spartan race, I was running for time and I, w- I was making my goal. I was doing the sprint. I wanted to do the sprint under an hour. And to put it in perspective, I've had three knee surgeries. So it's like, Ooh. like I can't all out run the entire thing anymore. So I have to do it in breaks, but I have a pretty mean walk, walk stride. So, so anyway, so I'm like, I'm going to get this in under an hour. And so I'm coming on the tail end of the race and I come to the rope climb. And there's, there's a woman there. She just looks defeated. And the coach in me, it's like I go over, like, I get ready to do my rope climb. And she's just huffing and puffing. And she's like, I can't do it. And I was like, I can't walk away from her. And so I come over. And I'm like, would you like a hand? And she's like, if you don't mind. You know, so I showed her how to lock in. And, you know, I stayed there with her the whole way, encouraging her, encouraging her. She rang the bell. You know, so I guide her back down. And she looks at me, she's got tears in her eyes. And she says, that's the first time I've ever done that. Nice. And that moment right there meant more to me than finishing the race in under an Than the sub one hour, right? Yeah. Sure. I mean, granted, I still got 101, <laughs> but, but still. But but just that moment, because like she'll, she'll never forget that moment. She doesn't know my name. I don't know her name. But she'll mm-hmm. never forget that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's a big reason why I do what I do and why getting up at, I get up at 420 every day, but I get to, to have moments like that every single day. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it worth it. That's awesome. And then, and you know, sometimes you don't even know how big that impact was. You think you made an impact, yes. but some people it's life changing. 
Yes, agreed. They need that. I, they have that. So before we dive in, into your backstory, so how, how would your best friend describe you? Oof, that's a, that's a loaded question, Rob. <laughs> that's um, why I ask it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think if you ask him, you'll say I, I, I have difficulty saying no. I overcommit. Mm. Um, the most positive person he knows. Uh, hardworking. Loyal. Loyal. Nice. Um, and you also say I'm very cheesy. Yeah, he, he <laughs> very cheesy. Um, you know, I, I have a random quote of the day in most inappropriate times, according to him. But so, yeah, so I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that description. And I actually had to think about what would he say. Because recently we had the talk and he's like, dude, you're cheesy. I like it, though. I need that sometimes because he's kind of yes. negative. So, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and if that answers your question, Rob, I would say, you know, I, you know, I, one time I, I, I was at a seminar. Uh, a gentleman wrote a book that was called uh, Train Your Brain for Success. You know, I, we go to a lot of seminars, you know, but yeah. I, my goal is to always take one thing that I'm going to keep, you know, and one thing that I wanted to keep from this seminar was one thing he said. He said, if you can just be the most positive person in the room, you will be successful. And I needed to hear that because I was never the sharpest or the smartest or the biggest or the fastest. But I always thought to myself, I'm usually the most positive. I'm glad this man on stage said that because now I'm going to own that more. Yes. And I... Now I hold sense of pride in making sure that people around me think Kaika is the most positive person we know. Not yes. everybody would agree, but in most cases, I think people will. Uh, to me, that's very meaningful because um, I, you know, grew up poor, hungry, determined, and to me, become successful is important. And knowing the fact that I don't have to try hard being somebody else, I can just stay positive. Um, exactly. So that was a that was a big takeaway from that seminar, and I think again, my my best friend would agree uh, that positivity it takes a lot of work, in my opinion. You, you can't always be positive, especially when you run a team and I've got, you know, thousands of customers and I only hear the bad news. Sometimes I'm like, I'm like this, you know, guy with the fire extinguisher is putting out fires all day long. It's all I yes. do, you know, at work. But, you know, no positivity, I think, has been my biggest asset in business and my family, my relationships, and I'm going to fight hard for it. Love it. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to just push. You know, because like I said earlier, we're all different. We all have different personalities. We all process different, like that's me. I'm that the most positive guy in the room person as well. And, um, you know, we pretty much established that the last time you spoke It's like, you know, we're, we're both cut from that same cloth. It's like, no matter what's going on in your life, like there's something to be grateful for. And people are like, well, what if you lo lose a loved one? And I went into the story about losing my father and, you know, us ending care and watching him take his last breath. Like there was so much gratitude in that moment. It's like, but we get so consumed by the other emotions, whether it's sadness, whether it's stress, whether it's anxiety, is we, we lean into those so much. And now that's not to say I never stress or you never stress, because I'm sure you do. I just know that for me, this is what works for me, is the sooner I address the source of the stress, the sooner it goes away. You know, it's like, like, I'm not the type to just sit and swim in it and figure out what's going on and all this other stuff. It's like, all right, how quickly can we make this go away? Mm -hmm. All right, we got to focus. We need to do A, B, C, D. Okay, good. Happy times are back again. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not wanting to get back to that positivity activity as quickly as possible. But I also know there are people who thrive on negativity. You know, so it's like, you know, you just have to realize that you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. and, and like, that's something that I had to learn because I'm, I'd like to be liked. <laughs> you know, that's just my personality. I'm a Leo for people who are into the horoscope. Leos love to be liked. And, mm -hmm. and so once, once I realized like, you know, you're going to get on stage, you're going to give a speech, you know, you know, 90% may love it, but there's 10% that might think you suck. <laughs> it's like, but you can't worry about the 10%. It's like, mm -hmm. you have to just pour into the 90 Yep. You know, like that's my mentality and that's how I'm able to stay positive now, even when I might get some not so good feedback. It's like, okay, noted. I'm not going to dismiss your feelings, mm -hmm. but these eight over here were feeling what I'm saying and they want to take the next step. Right. <laughs> you know? right. So like I lean in there. So yeah, well, now Rob, I'm go ahead. sorry to hear about your loss. And oh, thank you know, you. My, my religious side says, but what would he want for you? Yes. To be happy. Right. Yep. So you feeling sorry for yourself and your loss is not gratifying when he's looking at, at you from up above. Right. So you, you have to move on. Right. You have to you have to find your happiness. Right. You have to be like, what do they want me to do right now? OK, you know what? I'm going to find the positive in this. Yes. yes. It's a sad moment. I agree. I've had some friends who lost parents. Uh, I haven't yet. 
knock on wood. Um, but I put myself in the shoes and I'm, that's going to be a tough one. But at the same time, what would they want me to do? Yeah. I have to do I have to be tough for them. Right. Yes. Um, no, I agree. I, 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 Rob, one thing you mentioned that really stood out to me, you said, you know, the social acceptance, mm-hmm. I've always cared too much about what people think about me. And I thought it was yes. something wrong because people are like, well, you care too much what others might think about you. And I'm, and I'm like, why am I, you know, most people care. And the ones who are like, you don't care. I think something's wrong with you if you don't care. <laughs> yeah. like biologically, chemically, something you should care about being accepted. And then um, I, I came across a podcast. I was listening to a gentleman who's a historian and was breaking down why social acceptance is part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. He said, if you think about it, we all grew up in villages and, you know, little colonies and groups, right? And to you, that was your world. Whether it was a group of 50, group of 100, group of 500, whatever size of your village, that was your world. Outside yeah. of it, you knew nothing. And often, if somebody wanders away from your village, they end up dead. Yeah. Right? The wild animal kills them. They get lost in the forest, die of dehydration. So acceptance meant life because if there was an occasional weirdo in the village, a rapist, a killer, a liar, and then you know, the committee would get around and vote that person out, that equals to death. As in, yeah. you leave our village, and the odds of you finding another one and getting accepted is like 1%. Like you were going to die in percent and they would find your body dead in the forest a week later. Yes. So to get a, to be accepted as part of your village was life. To get rejected meant you were going to die. So yeah. imagine we have thousands of years of this in our DNA thinking, if I get accepted, I'm going to live. If I get rejected, I'm going to die. That's why fear of rejection is in, in our DNA. Yeah. And when people ask, what's the biggest fear? And a lot of people say, speaking in front of a group of people. Because that's a chance of 100 people, like 1,000 people, like rejecting you at once. That's why a lot <laughs> yeah. of people biologically shut off on stage. And it took me a lot of practice and self-talk to get comfortable on stage myself yes. i couldn't speak to a group of more than two like if you told me that there's gonna be four people listening to what i have to say i'm like oh uh i've been blessed to speak in a group of hundreds and maybe even thousands before a few times uh, but it's it's you know it's a muscle to get over but it's also it's okay to accept the fact that we are built to be beings that want to be socially accepted it's the life or death within our dna it's true and i i've said that on the show countless times countless times and and like what you were saying too about dealing with loss i I tell people all the time like what would they want to see you doing it's like do they want to see you laying on your bed in a fetal position you know just beating beating yourself up because of their passing it's like i don't think so it's like i know my dad wouldn't want that like my my clients got me a 79 pound kettlebell and they dressed because my dad was 79 and they dressed it up in like military colors and stuff and they said, here, like, this isn't to be used in the gym. They're like, we want you to take this home. This is in memoriam of your dad. And so I honored their wishes at first, and I brought it home. And then as it, it's on the floor in my living room. And, like, every time I looked at it, I could hear my dad's voice. <laughs> what good is that thing doing on the floor? You know, you should be taking that thing down to the gym. Like, that's just how he spoke. And I could just hear it. And I was like, so I brought it to the gym. And at first, the clients were like, no, we told you that's not for use here. I said, but you know what? It's about my dad. I said, if this is to commemorate him, he would want this in use. I was like, he would not want it on the shelf. So I was like, I respect what you guys wanted to do, but I have to honor his wishes. So now everyone that uses it, it's like, he's still here. Like, he's still leaving an impact here, you know, just from them using that kettlebell. Like, so- I would have an awesome story. Thank you. We live Thank close. You. I'll come and use it myself right now. <laughs> exactly. You know. All right. So let's t- let's talk about your 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 backstory. So coming from Armenia to the USA, I know there was a whole lot that you went through that you and your dad had to sacrifice. So take me through it. Yeah. So um, post uh, Soviet Union collapse, where a lot of the countries became independent, you know. Um, you know, a lot of countries thought it was going to be for the best. It wasn't like our Armenia was one of the countries that really suffered, right? We, you know, lost a lot of economic, uh, support, you know, businesses, middle-class pretty much disappeared. Um, you were either, you know, extremely wealthy or extremely poor and, you know, you couldn't really work your way up to success, right? So it was either who, you know, what, you know, it really nothing to do with hard work. Um, it's almost like being the hardest working farmer in the desert. Like you can mm. probably grow a plant, but you're not going to get anything out of them. You know, maybe just a little <laughs> leaf. Um, the American dream got very popular in Armenia in the early 2000s. It was almost like you go to this country and all you have to do is work hard and be ethical. And, you know, it's almost like a little too simple to sound too good to be true. Right. Yeah. And we heard stories of people going to America and they have bought a house and they have two nice cars they have a Mercedes and a BMW. That's like foreigner success thing, right? Go get a house. 
get a Mercedes and you get a BMW and you're considered successful, right? Which is why if you have any foreigner friends that explain why they drive German cars. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we, we keep on hearing these stories. So my father applied for a visa and then they gave a visa for him plus one, which, you know, it's almost like I drew the short stick. My older sister couldn't go. She's a girl. My younger brother's too young. I'm like this 13 year old would have been perfect. Plus in Armenia, there's a mandatory two year army service where if you, mm. if you're there, you have to go serve. And it's not like here over there. It's kids are kids are tortured. They get killed. There's, you know, one of my peers got accidentally shot on the ear and the infection wow. got to his brain. He had to, I mean, there's just so many bad stories about the mandatory two year service where they lose arms and joints. They're freezing. You know, there's all kinds of bad things where they don't, they don't have heat in the room where they're sleeping, no food for days. So anyway, I, the other motive was for me to go so I can not be listed on the army list service. So I don't have to go serve the two-year mandatory. So anyway, my father took, took me with him for what we thought might be a separation of maybe, I don't know, six months, maybe a year max. I didn't see my mom, my younger brother, my sister for seven years. Wow. Uh, we didn't know the extent of how hard it is to make your first $10,000 to hire a lawyer, to get your visa paperwork. At one point we were illegal, our visa expired. My father and I were doing anything from cleaning toilets at the YMCA where he can get this cash job from a guy who was delegating the work to him to uh, working construction. We were working for pizzerias, delivering box, making pizza boxes. And I remember I used to compete in how many pizza boxes I could make in an hour. They would give us marketing material where we would go tape it on people's mailboxes. I mean, we did anything possible because an option that we didn't have a choice of not sending minimally 100 to $200 back home because that's the money that fed, uh, fed our family that was back in Army. Yes. And, you know, not knowing English, not being connected, it, it was hard. I mean, it's, I think the American dream store was painted to be much easier than it actually was. You know, go work hard, but nobody talks about how hard you have to work. And also, you can't just work hard in the desert. You have to find the right opportunity, you know, surround yourself with the right people. You have to stay positive. And there's, there's so many layers that I learned. And from age 13 to 18, I was grinding, you know. And finally, we were able to save up enough money to uh, bring our family. And I remember they came and, you know, my, my, my dad was like, it's your responsibility to help raise your brother. You know, I, I did all I could for you. I'm exhausted. You're the older brother. You know, you do your thing. So long story short, I mean, I developed a very pit bull-like grip on opportunity. I got introduced to, uh, again, I did everything, you know, car sales, cell phone sales. And I was told, learn to sell. In America, salespeople make good money. So none of that really made sense until I got introduced to the insurance industry at age 18. So I ended up working for an insurance agency. I uh, had a great boss at the time, you know, I put three years in and I remember the conversation was you spend one year learning the product of what you do. You spend another year learning the business around the product and you spend third year developing your own business. So that's kind of what we did. Uh, so I worked there for three years, third year. I remember going to, to my boss and I'm like, you know, I would like to apply to become an agent for the company we work with and the company uh, mm -hmm. State Farm, right? Yeah. And then he's like, sure, here's a number to the recruiter. And I remember a lot of people were frowning upon that because nobody's ever done it in my age with our new contract, I was the only 21 year old applying. And yeah. again, I got like laughed out by some of the executives that were interviewing and here and there. And then I passed the assessment test and I was kept on going back, kept on going back. Uh, and then I got into the internship. I got introduced to a guy named Dan, who was actually just texting me. Uh, that's the gentleman that was supposed to be doing a, a, a speaking sharing thing today, 11, which I had to reschedule. <laughs> uh, it was his 45th day as an executive for the company. And I remember he's like, you know what? I like you, I'll give you a shot. It's an eight month internship. He gave me like a mission impossible. He said, you have to get names of 2000 people that would be your customers. So you have to cold, cold door knock. I don't care. I need 2000 names within eight months as you're doing all the licensing, all the training and all that. If you ever seen the movie Pursuit of Happiness, Rob, mm -hmm. that was my internship. I was the youngest, okay. the poorest, the brokest that I would, you know, <laughs> eat the snacks just so I don't have money to buy lunch. I would save all the money that were giving me and I would just stack up because there was a grand opening day where I had to get in, hire people and produce. So yes. for eight months, I did the internship. I would wake up early. I would cold call during lunch breaks. I would cold call. My goal was to get 10 people a day. And I remember I had to do 150 cold calls to get 10 people a day, six days a week. I would rest on day seven uh, just to make sure I get my 2,000 names eight months. And I remember eight months went through. It was my final skill check. I had to like, almost like defend my business plan dissertation and show them my results because they gave yeah. me they're like, you're broke. Most of our candidates have six figures and all this business experience. You're nobody with no money. So we need you to bring us the names. I remember I get, I get there, I got 1800 names. I've got the phone book I burned through. I've got whitepages.com notes, handwritten <laughs> notepad, you name it. Like I have a stack of just crap. I just put it on the table. I'm like, sorry guys, I didn't, I, there's no way I'll get another 200 in the next you know, few weeks. Uh, I guess I'm out. And then there's like four people that are looking at my paperwork. And then one of them is like, 
like we've been watching you. Uh, you know, we see, we've seen the lunch breaks. We've seen people join you. You were inspiring others to cold call with you. And then, um, you know, we've actually never had anybody to get even like 500 or even 1,000. The fact you got 1,800, that's impressive. Wow. And I was like, you bastards, man. You could have, <laughs> you could have from the beginning. And, you know, my, my, my coach, Dan, became a good friend. And, you know, we're still very good, you know, close friends. And he's, he's a mentor figure in my life. One uh, value he taught me, he goes, those 1,800 names mean nothing compared to the lesson it taught you in the eight months that you were sitting down and calling. Like, no one cares. You got to get better. You got to get quicker. You got to be more friendlier. Your voice has to change. You have to say certain words. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. It's the method. It's the follow through. It's learning how to dial quick. So I got very, very good. And to this day, I've been uh, doing this for you know 15 years now. I, I coach and train and develop people. I've had a lot of successful people come out of my office and become very successful, multi-six-figure, seven-figure entrepreneurs. Uh, and that's, you know, again, was it really about the 1,800 names? Uh, first year, I remember working, working my head down. And then, uh, you know, like a year goes by and I get this email, you're invited to this meeting, like top 100 days of meeting, which was like an honor. I'm like, holy cow, I get to go to meeting yeah. with these superstars. I'm like, yes, you know, I, you know, single guy with me plus one, I took my brother with me. And I remember going to this orientation meeting and I'm sitting down They're like, now we're going to announce our like top 10 agents. I'm like, yeah, these, and I, I see the name number 10. And, and these are the names I've been, you know, this is an example. This is who you want to be like, right? This guy used to be a mm. college wrestler and I was a successful. He makes a ton of money. This guy's a huge team, yada, yada. And then it comes to number two. And then number two is like another guy that I admire. And then number one, I hear my name and I'm like, did I just, and I look around, there's like a, my face is on the huge screen over there. Yeah. Like the vice <laughs> president of the company's on the stage and they're welcoming you to go up and accept an award. I'm like, uh, I turn, I don't know what color I turn, probably purple. <laughs> I get up, you know, I shake hands. They're like, do you have anything to say? I'm like, no. <laughs> so I grab a flag, I shake hands. I'm like, thank you. I sit down and my, my mentor Ali was there with me. He's like, he's, uh, he's an Arab, so he's his accent. You know, I love him. He's like, my friend, I took a lot of pictures of you. Here you go, here's a picture of you. Super intelligent guy. Anyway, so I remember... I uh, go into the bar after that, and then, uh, you know, everybody's asking questions. How'd you pull it up? I'm like, I don't know. I would just sit down 12, 16, 18, 20 hour days, slept in the office plenty of times in the week. Single guy, it's easy, you know, like that's, that's all I do. Yeah. Um, it was one of the most rewarding and, and not rewarding moments of my life because that's when I really felt like I'm somebody. Things matter. Hard work really can get you places. But then I'm like, I'm 22, 23 almost. I am burnt out. Like, I don't mm. think I can sustain this. This is, I mean, again, it was great. I like the high five. Um, I like the, the, the standing ovation, being on stage, but I'm like, I need to do something to maintain it. There's no way I can keep this up for a few more years. So, hey, hold yeah. on, hold on. Let me pause you right there. Let me write that down. We'll, we'll pick it back up at burnout. But Please. I, I want to go back to some, some of the things that, that you were saying. So every, every guest that I've interviewed that have come here from another country has always stated that they don't understand how there's poor people here <laughs> because, because like they come over, like I, I had a guy come over from Israel. He was not in the best of situations Had a woman from Thailand, same thing. Wasn't in the best of situation. And they come here like the woman from Thailand. She was like, you come, you can, you can just, you can just work. She's like, you can just work one, two, three jobs, four jobs. Like, it doesn't, you can just work and just save money right. and right, just right. get the things that you want. She, she's like, I couldn't do this back home, you know? So, um, so for your work ethic, do you think your work ethic was because of where you grew up and then having the separation from your family and you knew that you had to make it happen. So is mm -hmm. that why you were able to like find those 1800 people and to mm -hmm. prioritize doing what you had to do to rise up? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, at the beginning I said, I drew the short straw and came to America with my dad. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I pulled the long straw. I didn't mm -hmm. get a PhD, but I got a PhD of, of, of poor, hungry, determined, like school of hard knocks of the hunger to, when I see the opportunity, I'm not gonna let go. Yes. Right. And, and you know, my mentor, Dan, uh, he was actually speaking at my team event I had a few weeks ago and yeah. born and raised here, very successful. Again, he, he taught me the cold calling game. He's done it himself. So what impresses me more is about somebody who's born and raised here who has that foreigner mentality. And you know what? One thing he said at my team meeting that my, my entire team is by the foreigners, right? <laughs> I attracted my own kind. And, and he said, guys, one time I went to a seminar and it was a very successful multimillionaire guy. He said one thing he stood out to me. He said, if you can just have the foreigner mentality, the immigrant mentality, you will be successful. 
He goes, it doesn't mean you have to move from another country. The immigrant mentality means like work your ass off. Like you shouldn't have free time. Like I don't get this. So I need my rest and sleep. Like you can sleep when you're dead. Like, okay, sleep when you get there. But in all reality, that, that mentality is like, why aren't you working? Like, why are you complaining that you're out of shape? Like stop eating crap. Just wake up sooner and jog. I can't jog. Walk. I can't walk. Elliptical. Swim. <laughs> yeah, swim. I don't know how to move, you know? So when it, 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 I think one thing that my dad always, you know, when I saw him, how tired he would come home from like a 12-hour construction day, and he would look at me and say, like, son, you do not want to grow up doing this. Learn a skill. Mm -hmm. And there were so many moments where I was working for, an, you know, the agent when I was, I was not making that much money, right? This is not the reality. Like, I was working hard, but he's like, I need you to stay in that office. I like knowing that you can come do construction. We can make more money together. But my son is learning how to make money with a pen and a paper. Mm -hmm. Like to us, it's a privilege to come to a place. I can type and pick up a phone and make as much as the guy who's doing busting his butt off in construction, which is what I did for, for years yeah. with my father. I'm like, yep. heck yeah, I'll take that. This is easy, right? <laughs> so knowing the fact that where I come from, Rob, it's hard work doesn't get you anywhere. It yeah. does not. I'm sorry to say this. It's not the opportunity. Like, and I'm not saying America is the greatest country. There's yeah. a lot of countries that you can work hard, but to me, it's the greatest country because this is the country that I worked hard and I got all the results in my life. Everything I have, everything I'm thankful for, none of it was easy. None of it was handed to me and everything was a result of hard work, including my fitness goals. I have great relationships with my family. I've got great kids. I've got great friends. I have one of the, actually, we just got a result in last year. My, my, my business finished number one in our Pacific Northwest. Awesome. I, again, my team is not hardworking just because it's because they're like, I can start working, so should we. So it's almost yeah. like you attract your own kind. So that that foreigner, that mentality, huge. It's a perspective. Like, yes. When you're born here, it's 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 hard to understand how hard it is in other places. This is just work hard and don't go against men's and God's laws. That's it. Three things. Mm -hmm. Where where I come from, it's forty-seven things. Yeah, I spoke to someone who does missions in Africa, and she said, you know, there's poverty here in the U.S. She's like, but when you go to other countries, it's next level. It's like next level. I said, yeah, so you can take one of the worst inner city projects here. He's like, but there's still hot water. There's still food. You know, you still have clothes. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like you still have the basic necessities of life. Whereas if you take the poorest village in Africa or in, anywhere else, she's like, it's, you know, people don't, don't even have access to medicine you know, food, it's, it's just things that we can totally take for granted here. You know, Rob, like, like you were talking water about, was luxury yes. for me when I just got here. Yes. Yeah. Like, like when you luxury. were talking earlier about, about those things, the first thought that popped into my mind, I was like, yeah, and we break our cell phone and we think it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in our, in uh, my city, Yerevan, the capital, uh, yeah. we had no electricity during the day. Mm. Uh, kids were outside. And, and not making up a story, but 100% yeah. true story. We're playing outside until we can't see each other. And every night, we'll probably get, I don't know, it was like five hours or six hours of electricity. We, the, uh, the city couldn't afford to provide electricity all day long. Mm -hmm. Again, compared to like some places in Africa, we're like heaven where I'm, because we would get electricity at least, you know? Yeah. We didn't have running water. The, the pipes didn't have enough pressure. We didn't have a system to pump water into the... 10 story project buildings I was living in. So the people that lived on the first, second floor would get water. Rest of them had to carry with buckets. There's an outside water that was wow. literally, I would, I would carry a lot of, it was cardio. <laughs> so I would take <laughs> water upstairs to my mom. And, and I remember mom would prep food to get ready to cook when the electricity would come on at 9 p.m., wow. 10 p.m. And I remember we're outside dark as night and we're playing, we're falling. By the way, better childhood than my kids are having. My kids have everything. They got Xboxes, flat screen TVs in every room. They're yeah. in a very nice neighborhood. Like, it seems nice, but I'm like, they're missing out on the greatest childhood I had. I, I grew up outside, it was so fun. Like, I, I learned mm. social skills. I learned my immune system is probably better because I kept on eating dirt by falling, you know, playing soccer <laughs> outside. And we would play, and I remember lights would come on, the entire neighborhood, boop, 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 lights would just boom. And mm. we would look at each other and scream. And literally, this is what we would say lights and we would just sprint into the house we like run up and turn on the tv for those who had tv i had this box of tv i remember barely would work would hit it inside with the oh sheet yeah <laughs> we had and one of those first, and we would stick our heads out the window and scream hey rambo's on channel seven and those like, rambo no way and then one guy's like my tv's not working i'm like come on over again that was the childhood 
And again, you put that kid in America and you just tell him, you just got to work 12, 14 hour days, make 150 cold calls, have 30 people yell at you. Five people might say yes. The other five might not work with you. I'm like, that is simple. But in all reality, uh, depending on the standard, that could be like mission impossible. When I tell some of the people, like newbies come and I coach a lot of newbies in our business. Like, like what would you have to do like to pull off the numbers? And you're still 11 years in your agency. You're still pulling these big numbers. I'm like, well, if I told you, some might get excited. Most would be like, that's way too much. Most would be saying it's way too much. Hi, how'd you run a three hour, 11 marathon? You're 205 pounds. Sounds cool, right? <laughs> three eleven at 205 pounds. But if I told you how painful the 50 mile weeks were, you would yeah. not want to even commit. I've exactly. had two people join me like, oh, I guess it's too much. I'm like, but it looked cool on Facebook when I posted it, right? You want the <laughs> results, you got to put in the work. Exactly. I, I always say it's an it's an open book test. You no, know, like when people come to me in, in the gym all the time, I'm like, guys, like this isn't rocket science. You have to drink enough water. You have to eat clean 75 percent of the time. You got to train three to five days a week. You know, like it, it is what it is. It's like you, you got to take take your measurements because, you know, you want things that you can track. Like it's not all about measurements, not all about weight, but you want things that you can track and you have to be consistent. It's like if you're constantly looking for the next greatest entertaining thing, like I tell people all the time, the name of my gym is RBF Fitness. And I always say it's not RBF Entertainment. It's like I'm not here to entertain you. It's like we're not doing theme nights and nothing against the gyms that do that stuff. I'm just all about business when it mm -hmm. comes to when it comes to that stuff. Like if you want to get stronger, we need to do ABC. If you want to run faster, we need to do ABC. It's like, and as long as you do ABC consistently, you will reach your goal. Yeah. Kind, of, kind, of, kind of like you said, 150 calls a day to get those 10 people. You do that consistently. Now you have a team of people and you're running a highly successful business. But you were willing to do what was necessary. I, I think you even said that earlier, that you did what was necessary to get the job done. Yeah. yeah. Pain of discipline weighs much less than pain of regret. Yes. This is painful. But regret is far, far more painful. And often you can't handle regret. Yes, yeah. it's so true. I mean, regret leads to, to so many so many things. Like there was a study. I know I mentioned it on this show before. There was a study. Someone interviewed 80 people who had terminal illnesses. And the number one things, the number one regret was not pursuing the things that they, they were passionate about. Mm -hmm. You know, and that happens so much, especially here. I mean, I can't speak for, for other countries, but I know it happens here because we're spoiled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we are so, so spoiled yeah. here. And like like I said, you know, we'll we'll break our cell phone or 